out your Bibles, pull out your message notes. Uh, you can do it digitally on the Bible app. You can look them up. They have them when they walk in. Also online, if you're worshiping with us online, you can get it through the link that they're going to provide or have provided. Uh, we've been talking about Nehemiah. We started the conversation last weekend. Um, in January, I began to really ask God, God, what do you want us to do and focus on as a church? And uh, our word for the year is kingdom. That hasn't changed. But I, I felt the Lord say that we're going to be in a quick season of rebuilding. That's, so, so it's not the word for all year. I, maybe it is for some of you. I really felt like the Lord said just two months, 52 days, 60 days. Um, we're, we're just going to focus on this rebuilding thought. How do we rebuild our lives? How do we rebuild our marriages? How do we rebuild our families? How do we rebuild our finances? Uh, how do we rebuild our character? Come on, somebody. Uh, it's interesting that when COVID hit, if you're like me, I was caught off guard. Um, I thought, if, I, I just remember so clearly, Jason, you probably do too, we're standing in the Dream Center, and it was like the weekend they had minimized all gatherings to 200 or less. Well, the Dream Center holds like 200 people, so we're like, hey, we're going to meet, and we did. It was awesome. And I remember saying, all right, we'll see you guys back next week. And uh, about four months later, uh, we came back together, and I, I, I realized now what I didn't know then was... When I thought it was going to be over quickly, I allowed myself to live in a state that I wouldn't normally live in. So if you've ever been on vacation, how many have ever been on vacation? How many know we live differently on vacation than we do when we're living normal life? And somebody said, no, not me. You're lying. Come on. You don't work out every day on vacation. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know about you. It, when I'm trying to eat right, I'm on vacation vacationness is what we call it. And I'm going to have some chocolate chip muffins. I'm going to eat some chocolate brownies and ice cream. Now I've, that's become a habit. But before it was just on vacation, right? It's a mentality. It's like, hey, where are the kids? I don't know. I don't care as long as they're breathing. You know, if it's during the week, it's like, where's the kids? We're all on, wow, you're on vacation. It's a different mentality. But when you live that way, for one week and two weeks and three weeks, you no longer are living to the standard that you had developed to get your life to where you were. Your standards dropped. Maybe you got up early every day and you prayed and you read your Bible and you spent time with God. God saved you last year. You came to a service. Someone invited you to experience Anchor Bend, whether in person or online. And I want you to know church will never matter more to you until you start inviting people to this place with you. I, I, I know that you, it's good to enjoy it, but I promise you, if you invite that lost friend to a service, to an experience, you're going to be praying for me. Pastor, don't mess it up this morning. God, give pastor the words to say, let him be funny. Come on, Jesus. Let today be the day that he does it so well. The, right? You start interceding. Why? Because you've leveraged your credibility to get that friend to sit right next to you to hear this message of hope. And so you might have come because somebody invited you. And so you were sitting here and, and you said, Pastor, I'm going to do what you said. And we talk about running the play. Just give us 
52 weeks, run the play. Like when you give your life to God, give God one year of your life. Come to church every week. Go to next steps. Go to a small group. Start serving on the dream team. Because when we run the play, what will happen is our life is radically changed. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month. Yes, salvation is in a moment, but transformation takes time. Well, then COVID hits. And it's like, I'm not praying like I used to. I didn't, hey, and, and I get it. Look, if you're online and you have been faithful through every single service, God bless you. It's amazing. I struggled to show up every Sunday online. Come on, somebody. I mean, why? Because I, I, it just, it's different. I mean, it's awesome. How many remember the first couple of weeks we showed up dressed up for church, like get dressed. And I mean, by about four weeks in, we're like in our pajamas, eating cereal. I'm like, hey, your daddy's preaching good. They're like, so what? They're just chilling. No, come on, watch it. This is a good point. This is a good point, you know? I mean, it just, it's kind of what happens. There's no accountability. And then you start showing up late and then you start missing. And then have you even said, look, I'll catch the live stream later. I'll go to YouTube. Pastor always posted. I'll get the, the podcast. Well, the problem is the church meets at 930 and 1130. We're the church. And so if we're going to be the church, let's meet together as the church, even if we're in locations all over the nation and the world. Like we're, we're saying this is our time together. So we're experiencing it. Together, And so what's happened in a lot of people's lives and in my life, some of those disciplines have fallen off. The walls have been torn down. Like I stopped doing what I used to do to get to where I'm at. And, and so relationships can struggle. Your marriage can struggle. Your even finances. Listen, some of you were furloughed. Some of you lost your job. Some of you were just afraid of losing your job. And because of that, maybe you stopped tithing. Well, before COVID, you were tithing. You knew what it meant to put God first. God blessed it. But what we have to understand is every single time we stop doing what we did to get to where we're at, we're not progressing forward. We're now going backwards. And the enemy, he can't rob your salvation, but he does want to rob your destiny. He wants to keep you from being effective here. And so then what happens is so you started tithing, you stopped tithing. Now you can't afford to tithe. Why? Because the enemy's robbed you. He's, he's taken things away. And, and, and it's not always even about that less money is coming in. It's just that your stuff's not blessed. You're having to replace this. You're having to replace that. Why? Because the enemy has an end into your life. So he's robbing, he's taking, he's stealing. And so the life you lived before, you just find that the walls have been torn down. Maybe emotionally, you're just exhausted. Anybody just a little exhausted? You're like, come on. I mean, we have been through political turmoil. We have been through racial turmoil. We have been through physical turmoil and health turmoil. I mean, at some point, there is just this fatigue of crisis. And I wish we could say that the devil would just attack one thing at a time, and then there's a reprieve. But that's not how he attacks me. It's almost like Phyllis and I, we, we got on the phone the other day, and we have had one thing after another thing after another thing. We, we literally just said we have to laugh at all of these things that keep happening to us. Like, clearly, it's an attack of the enemy. But what we don't want it to be is the, the last straw that breaks the camel's back. 
Like I just got to say, okay, devil, you're defeated. I, I don't know how we're going to get through it. I don't know the end of all this, but I do know that we get through it. The Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't camp out in the valley. And some of you have been camping, having a pity party. Woe is me. And, and I get it. Listen, we've all been there. I've had those moments in those days where I'm like, hey, man, if I'm left to myself, it's going to be a depressed day. But what I've learned is I can't be left to myself. When I start having one of those days, I got to get on the phone with somebody. I got to say, hey, look, I'm struggling right now. I got two or three people and I call them, listen, help talk me off this ledge. But it's time for us to really focus now and rebuild. I was thinking about, you know, when we look at life, life is a lot like a game. You know, we talk about you want to be on the field, in the game. And I think what happens, whether, you know, it could be football or, or basketball, it, it, it doesn't matter what sport it is. There's an offense and a defense. A defense is I'm just trying to keep you from scoring. An offense is like I'm the aggressor. I'm going to score. I'm going to catch the football in the end zone. I'm going to slam dunk the basketball, whatever it is. I'm the one taking the fight to the other team. But I believe so many Christians are just in survival mode. We're just playing defense like, Lord, don't let nothing bad happen to me. But Nehemiah's amazing because look, he said, I'm going to defend. I'm going to fight on one side, but I'm also going to build. I'm going to build what God's called me. So I'm playing defense while I'm playing offense. And we are ready as a church, as a people. It's like, God, I choose to now rebuild maybe some things the enemy tore down and maybe some things that I tore down. Like the enemy doesn't get all the credit. Come on, somebody. Some of us just made some bad choices. It's like, it's just a bad choice. So, but Nehemiah has got some great things that are going to help us. And uh, I'm, I'm, I want to just walk us through it. Nehemiah, I want to give you a little bit of backdrop with Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer of a king named Artaxerxes of Persia. And so he is the one that keeps the king's drink and food safe. So he would have been the one to test it. The king loves him, trusts him, and uh, puts his life into his hands. And Nehemiah gets word that Jerusalem is in ruins, that his, his people's land is in ruins. And so Nehemiah, being a man of God, is heartbroken. And he begins to weep and mourn and pray and fast and see God, God, the devastation of your people and the land that you're bringing your people back to. See, God had made a promise that though Israel was taken off in slavery, that they would come back to their own place. They would have their land again and be rebuilt as a nation. And so, you know, Nehemiah would have been praying for that. And this is the third regathering of God's people. And so when he hears the desolation of Jerusalem and the city, his heart is broken. God, I don't understand. You said it would be rebuilt, and here we are. It still lays in ruins, and it's destroyed. And so Nehemiah, God speaks to him, and he asks the king. They start talking in a conversation. King says, why are you sad? He tells him why. And then he makes a plea to the king for a favor to go and lead the people to rebuild the wall. Well, the king says, absolutely, go. Take whatever you need. Go rebuild the wall of your city. And now 
Nehemiah feels this weight. He's like, man, I'm going to do it. And we know if, if you read it, your homework last week was to read all 13 chapters of Nehemiah and to come back ready to have a conversation. Well, we know what happens. He rallies the leaders. He rallies the priest. He rallies the laborers. And he gives them a vision of what could be. And within 52 days, even with fierce opposition, they rebuild the wall. What would have taken years, what would have been impossible, God rallies the people because they stood together in unity and did a miracle in a short work of time. And I really believe the Lord spoke to me that as a church, that he's going to do a quick work. Some of you and, and me and us, the walls have been torn down and it feels like your life is so desolate and destroyed and maybe you made a moral mistake. Maybe there's a relational mistake and it seems impossible. Like in the natural, that would never be resolved. But I want you to know you serve an impossible God, a God of the miracles, the God of the supernatural. He will do it even when it seems like it's impossible. And I felt like he said he was going to do it in quick work. That's why I said it's not our word for the year, just our word for the season, while we build his kingdom. So I want to just pull a few thoughts out. I just have four thoughts this morning to help us rebuild our lives. And I also want to put this in your heart. Some of you may be sitting out there like, Pastor, my life's never been better. I believe you. There's never been such a chasm of experiences. I have some people like, this is the best season of my entire life. It's never been better. And then I have some, this is the worst season of my entire life. It's never been worse. I would encourage you, if you say my life's never been better, if God's not putting a burden on your heart for someone else or something to rebuild. Yes, your house is great. Your life is great. But what I found is just as in Nehemiah, his heart was broken at what he saw, the devastation of what he saw. So, so maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a department. Maybe it's the youth or the children or maybe it's the dream. I, I don't know, but there's something. And you're like, man, they're missing something. And it's breaking your heart. Maybe it's a nonprofit. Maybe it's to see mission trips happen and feed. The, I don't know what it is. But if there's this brokenness on the inside about something that is not in the fullness of what it could be, then I want to encourage you that you might be the Nehemiah for that situation. So don't just sit back and say, well, it doesn't apply to me. No, no, it does. Let's, let's, let's get this in us so that we can not only rebuild the walls of our lives, but wherever the Lord takes us to rebuild. First thing is this. He took responsibility and ownership. Look at Nehemiah 1, 6, and 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen or the lower third if you're uh, worshiping online with us. Verse 6 says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, not by obeying, by not obeying the commands, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. One of the things I love about Nehemiah when you read this it's, it's an interesting statement that he would say that I and my family have sinned because as far as we can see, Nehemiah has done nothing but great things. Like he has favor with the king and that only comes from God. We know that God gives you favor with people. Psalms 512 says that favor comes from God. And so we know that, that Nehemiah had a connection with God. And as far as we can see, you don't, it doesn't look like he's in blatant sin. In fact, his heart is broken for the destruction and desolation of God's people. 
And yet he takes this ownership of, listen, I take responsibility because somewhere in my life, I'm telling you, God, that I have sinned, my family has sinned, and I know this, the only way to change something is if we take responsibility. Like if we defer responsibility, then we just blame. And as long as you blame, you'll forever be a victim. Like, I, it's your fault. You shoulda, coulda, woulda. And look, I know it's easy. Look, I've done it before too. It's easy to say, well, God fixed them. I mean, come on, you're married. It's like, fix my spouse. Not that Phyllis needs anything fixing. It's all me. But, you know, fix them, God. Fix my kids. Well, I always look at parenting. Parenting is a very tricky thing, right? I mean, because your kids are a mirror image of you. In other words, they didn't come pre-programmed with the dysfunction that you now see in their life. If you see dysfunction in their life, it's because you put that dysfunction in their life. And so it's easy to say, well, you're undisciplined or I, I need you to, to tell the truth. I, whatever discipline that we're trying to put in their life to help correct, it's like, God, if you would just fix those kids, I'd be a pretty good parent. But until you fix them, I'm probably going to struggle. And the reality is, God, I just need you to fix me. There's dysfunction in me. There's something wrong with me. And so, God, as you continue to refine me as a parent, then what happens is your kids respond to your parenting. And so I can take responsibility or I can cast blame. And it's hard. It takes humility, right? I mean, nobody wants to... I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I kind of like to think it's everybody else. I, I like to think, for me, come on, I'm pretty good. It takes humility to have a, a hard look at yourself and say, well, you're probably not pretty good. Probably a lot of things that are wrong with you. Uh, it takes the fact of you being honest. It takes the fact of you saying, look, something's wrong and admitting, look, I, I made a mistake. I, I lied. I, I did this. I did that. Whatever it is in my life, I just have to say, God, okay, if you're exposing it, then it must be real. And I think it's easy for me to say, it's not me. There's nothing wrong with me. Come on, there's nothing wrong. It's hard for me to see what's inside. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9, this passage is really one that we ought to all meditate on. I've prayed this for years. My, my mom showed me this passage a long time ago, and, and I've prayed it in my prayer with God. It's like, man, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? So how many know it's always easy to point stuff out in other people, but it's very hard to see stuff in us. We're deceived. I don't want to see it. I, I can't see it. I don't know about you, but I love to go on cruises. Anybody like to go on cruises? Now, probably not going on a cruise in Corona State, but, but, but pre-Corona, cruise was pretty awesome. Come on, somebody. You don't pay a whole lot, but you get a whole lot. Now, the food is terrible for you, but you get to eat all the food you want. You get people to do room service, come on somebody, they just bring it in anytime. Why? Because I'm on a cruise. I, I never ate so much in my life until I was on a cruise. What did you eat? Everything. I didn't even like it. It was just out and I ate it. 
I like it because I don't have to worry about driving. I do all the driving in our relationship. And so there's always a pro, you know, pressure, like where are we going? And then if her and I get in an argument, a lot of times it's with directions. It's like, no, I don't just. So I'm like, cruise, cool. Just drop me off. Tell me when to come back. I can do it. I got gotcha. you. Easy peasy. Come on, somebody. So I love it. It's great. We typically go with friends. And a couple of years ago, we went with some friends and just had an amazing time. And we got back and. I was watching this investigative reporting uh, uh, broadcast. It was, it was like a program. And I was just tuning in and it caught my eye because they were doing an investigative report about cruises. Well, I just got back from a cruise. I mean, what's not to love about a cruise? I mean, it's awesome. It's amazing. I mean, I just, I, I really love it. So I'm watching, I'm like, okay, what you gonna investigate? So we're talking about all the little scams and different things. And then they came into the cleanliness of the rooms. I don't know. I just didn't even think about it because when I walked into the room, it was clean. I was like, ooh, it looks good. It's, I don't have to make the bed. I thought it looked nice. My God, it's a little small, but it looks good. Clean, new, right? No, 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 no. So they do this report, and the lady's like, oh, they, they got this real nice, pricey suite. So you're like, hey, if any room's going to be clean, that suite's going to be clean. Come on. And so you know the cruise ship ain't going to take them some rinky-dink room. They probably cleaned it and made sure. So here they are. They're in it. And she says, now this is the true test of cleanliness. You looked at it. All the stuff looked good. I'm like, I would stay there. Turn off the light. They have this thing called a UV light, ultraviolet light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turned it on, my God, there was stuff everywhere. How does stuff get up on the ceilings? I don't even know. It was everywhere. That room lit up like a Christmas tree. It was like, my God, my God. See, we couldn't see it with the natural eye, but it was still there. And in our life, you can't see the deceitfulness of your heart, but it is still there. We need the illumination of the power of God to help us see what we cannot see. So we have to really say, I'm going to take responsibility. And it's, it's God when you show me. Psalmist said in Psalm 139, David says, search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything that offends you, lead me along the path of everlasting life. So God, I take responsibility, I take ownership, show it to me and I'll take responsibility. Second thing is, he had a clear vision of what could be. So Nehemiah, how's he going to rebuild the wall? He had a clear vision of what could be. Look at Nehemiah 2.17, he said, but now I said to them, you know very well that tr what trouble we're in. So he's talking to the people, he's gone to Jerusalem and he's standing outside the walls and he's like, hey, listen, we're in trouble. Going to Jerusalem and he's standing outside the walls and he's like, hey, listen, we're in trouble. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Here's what he's gonna tell them. Look, he says, and this is my word for us, let us rebuild. Let us rebuild. Look, as we rebuild, we cannot do it by ourselves, but we're going to together, we're going to rebuild together. 
And then he begins to cast a vision. He says, look, we're going to build the wall of Jerusalem and we're going to end the disgrace. And then he goes on and he talks about what's going to happen. And he gives a clear vision of what could be, not of what they see, but what is the possibility? What is the future? What is this place that we can get to? I think some of you have been looking at the ruins of your life for so long, you can't see anything but destruction. And if you can't see anything but destruction, you'll never be able to move past that because you will become that which you behold. I've learned in life that the greatest ploy that the enemy has is to keep you focused on what's broken. And the greatest tactic that God has to move us forward is to keep us focused on vision. Vision is what moves our life forward. Vision is what causes us to say, hey, God, I know I'm here, but I'm not staying here. God, you're not done with me. God, as long as there's breath in my lungs, there's a vision for my life. There's a purpose for my life. There is something that you have for me that's greater than what I'm experiencing right now. There's a vision of what could be. A vision of what could be. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, people perish. Some of you said, I feel like I'm dying. Yeah, because you don't have no vision. I got vision for this. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the thing that's broken. Do you have vision for your family? Do you have vision for your finances? I know you've been in debt. I know they're trying to take the house and the car, but is that all you can see or can you see debt freedom paid off, paid in full, more than enough? Well, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Yeah, that's God's job. Your job is to obey God. I'm going to tithe. Here's the thing that I've learned in my life financially. It's the thing I've learned since I was 14 years old. When I started construction, my mom taught me how to tithe. I've never stopped tithing since I was 14. And that is you tithe every time you get money that comes in. That puts God in the right place. Some people have fallen away from church and they're like, well, I just got disconnected. No, you don't just get disconnected. You disconnect. You stop giving. And the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So the fact that I stopped giving, no wonder your heart started drifting. So I just learned I always tithe. I've never not tithe. And I'm telling you, I've been in some tough situations in my life. I've never lost a house. I've never lost a car. God has done me. I had a man walk into my house and give me $5,000. I didn't talk to him. I never told him anything. And he said, you catch all of your bills up right here. Do you think that, that, that there was a holy hint for that? Or do you think the God of heaven spoke to someone? See, you're waiting for this hint to give everybody the clue. God's like, if you just do what I tell you to do, I'll speak to the hearts of people and they'll provide in a season of manna. Vision, vision, vision. And it's one of the things that, how do you get vision? Well, we, we love to help you with it through next steps. It's, it's just a way to help you. It's not the end all, but next steps is a three-week class that we have, and it helps connect you to your purpose. Uh, you get connected to the vision of the church. You learn more about it. You, you can join the church and membership. But then step two is amazing because you get your personality profile and your spiritual gifts. And the reason that's important is because I, I, I read a study, 87% of Christians live on this earth and have no idea why God put them here. Well, if you want to know your purpose, the first place to start is your design because your design reveals your purpose. 
So what's my personality? What's my spiritual gifts? And then that begins to point you in the direction of your life. And so then we just begin to point you. Look, you can serve here. You could be a part of this. What good is it to have a purpose and not actually act out on it? Fulfill it. Do it. Walk in the middle of it. Look, God's not going to say, hey, I'm so glad I made you with all this purpose. What he's going to say is, hey, look, what did you do with the design that I created you with? Did you move forward in purpose? Vision, vision, vision. Vision's the ability to see beyond your present reality into the future reality that God has for you. I was thinking of an example that, that would be, let me show you the example of the tractor supply. Some of you are brand new. It was, it's been so good. I met David and I think it was at Hilda and her, their four kids right here a couple of weeks ago. They've been watching and worshiping online for a year. I said, it's our first week here on site. I, there are people like that. Come on, you've got a whole family that is online. Some that you just joined this week or the last couple of weeks. Maybe you've been with us, but maybe you've not seen it. But this is old tractor supply property. So this is what that property looked like before. It didn't look like much. And so all I know is that I felt the Lord really say, that's your building. And we had our trustees and our overseers all a part of it. And Phyllis and I, I remember we were in that meeting and Ministry Solutions is helping us figure out what our next step is because we are not staying in this place forever. Come on, somebody. We just needed a plan. And they said, I think that that, that whole tractor supply building will work. And so we're like, well, okay, let's go look at it. And this is what we drove up on. I'm like, woo, that's pretty ugly. I think that's what some of our lives look like, right? COVID, pre-COVID, it was better. Post-COVID, it's like weeds everywhere. Like it's, your life is standing, but there's a whole lot of mess in it, you know, it's stuff that's added. And, and what we've got to do is say, okay, God, I've got to be able to see beyond this. Now, for us, we hired an architect company, Gensler. They're a great architect firm in Houston. And I've learned one thing. If you've seen the Dream Center, uh, we bought that building. And some of you, you guys remember what it was? It was that old Baptist church, which God bless the Baptist churches. They probably, they, they, you know, it's awesome. Pastor Paul was there and I remember it was pink brick and Phyllis and I, we, we hired live design. Do you remember that? And I, I told her, I said, we, we had the opportunity to buy it. Well, it wouldn't fit us as a church, but we needed offices. We needed an outreach center. We needed a place where we had some permanent space while we we're going to the place God had us. But I'll never forget, I'm like, that's an ugly building. I don't think I can get past the pink brick. Like I like pink. I just don't know if I want my whole building in pink. You know what I mean? And so, they, but they created the design. So if you drive the Dream Center, that was the design they gave us a vision for. Same thing for this campus. Here's the vision of what your new Richmond campus is going to look like. That's the vision of it. Excellence without extravagance. And it's going to be the best looking building with all the landscaping and mature trees. And you're going to walk in. It's going to be like, man, this is my church. But listen, if all we see is the building with weeds, you're never going to move forward. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to be depressed. You're going to feel like a failure. You're going to begin to feel hopeless. But when you cast your eyes on that right there, then I can make it through the remodeling stage. I don't care if that parking lot is broken up because I'm going somewhere with it. It's going to be an amazing first 
first-class, state-of-the-art facility that will see thousands and thousands of lives change. And I want you to know, you're a first-class, state-of-the-art housing mechanism for God. He lives in you. He dwells in you. His power is in you. And it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. I know you stumbled. I know you fell. You may have made a mistake, but God doesn't focus on the mistake. He focuses on the design. You were built for more. You were made for more. Pull yourself up. You got this. You got to get a vision. Got to get a vision. You're dying because you've lost the vision of what could be in your life. And God wants to give you a new vision. 